Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. My name is John Murphy. I'm the play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bills. It is a great time to be a Bills fan, isn't it? Some memorable moments last Sunday at Highmark Stadium in the regular season finale. And it was not because of the game. You know, the game was okay. Bills beat the Jets, handled their business pretty well. But the end of the game, I thought. The crowd did not leave. Normally, in a game that's been decided, and it was down the stretch the last couple of minutes, normally the big crowd in Orchard Park starts to head to the exits. Not last Sunday. This crowd did not want to leave. They wanted to stay. They wanted to savor the Bills clinching the AFC uh, crown at home. First time they'd done that in 26 years, since 1995. Essentially a generation that were, that were Bills fans without ever seeing the team clinch a division title at home. And they felt it. It was, it was emotional. I thought it was great. The crowd just on its feet cheering wildly. Uh, fans uh, embracing each other. Just celebrating the AFC East Division title. Of course, that's not all what the Bills were looking for this year. That's not all the fans were looking for. But it is a milestone. The second consecutive AFC East title. The last time they clinched at home, 1995, I'm not saying it was a run-of-the-mill thing, but it was their sixth division title in eight years. Not this time. This is a generational event. This crowd had never seen, this generation has never seen the Bills clinch a division title at home. It was fantastic. I have to confess, it caught me by surprise. My emotions kind of took over. I was getting a little emotional, a little choked up. It just hit me. That's how much the Bills mean to these fans. And vice versa. That's how much these Bills players appreciate these fans. I mean, if you were there, you will never forget the sight of Josh Allen. uh, End of the game, does his network uh, TV interview, and he takes the time to do a complete lap around the perimeter of the stadium, slapping high fives with the fans in the first row of the seats. Yeah, a little gesture, I guess, but it really was meaningful. I thought, he gets it. Josh gets these fans. These Bills players get these fans. They get the uh, devotion these fans have for the team. I thought it was a great moment last Sunday at the end of the game. Um, I think it's something I'll never forget and one of the greatest things I've seen in all my years covering the Bills. We're going to talk about that game on our podcast today. We're going to talk more about the the game itself, the Bills and the Jets. And of course, we will try to preview the Bills wildcard, super wildcard playoff matchup against the New England Patriots. That's what they call it now, the super wildcard round. We'll see. We've got Kevin Harlan as a guest. Kevin Harlan, play-by-play for the NFL on on CBS TV. Did the game Sunday. Last Sunday, the Bills Jets, he did the game on Sunday. He does radio. He does Monday Night Football. NFL games on Monday Night Football on Westwood One Radio. He's doing a game this weekend, the uh, Chiefs game at home, playoff game. And we'll talk with Kevin Harlan about that. The differences between play-by-play, radio, and TV, his career, how he gets ready for a game. Kevin Harlan, play-by-play man, is going to join us in a moment or two here on the podcast. Also, we're going to talk about Irish-American culture. It's a big part of the legacy of Sullivan's Brewing Company, our sponsors. We're going to talk with Paul Finnegan of the Irish Echo, a newspaper based in New York City, about Irish-American culture, about Ireland today, about pub culture and uh, bar culture. Got some interesting thoughts on that. Paul Finnegan joining us on today's uh, podcast. Let's start with the Bills and the Jets. So as I said earlier, not much of a game. You know, the Bills um, got things together, uh, struggled just a little bit 
in the second half. The Jets were gamers. They came to play, but they don't have the horses, right? The Bills got a run game going again. It's really a new weapon now. The Bills able to run the ball effectively on almost a game-in, game-out basis the last month or so. And yes, the running backs are playing better. Devin Singletary has become the number one man. But I really think the secret lies in the play of the Buffalo offensive line. I really think the offensive line and their development is why the Bills are able to run the football now. Like they've got Ryan Bates in guard the last couple of games. He's playing well, too. Spencer Brown able to move back to right tackle where he seems more comfortable. And this past Sunday, they used an extra offensive lineman a lot. Rookie Tommy Doyle, a draft pick last year, lined up at right tackle, lined up at left tackle, all over the place on his several plays. Mark Gaughan of the Buffalo News wrote about it this week, I think Monday in the Buffalo News, about the different looks the Bills were providing the Jets with the use of the extra offensive linemen. You know, they report eligible, right? The official stops the game and says, you know, number 72 reports eligible. It made a difference. I think it showed a lot of creativity in the run game, and I think that's a credit to Brian Dable. Look, we know the Bills are not a real strong run team. They are primarily a pass team, but they have found a way over the last month or so by being creative with the offensive line, as I've said, by uh, sticking with Devin Singletary motor a lot. They've found a way to get production out of the run game, and they needed it, and they'll need it moving forward in the playoffs. you got to give Brian Dable the big credit for that. The defense, sensational again. They did a great job against the outman New York Jets team. But look, the defense has just finished the season number one in overall defense and number one in points allowed. They finished the season basically number one in all important defensive categories, the number one pass defense in the NFL. They're a great defensive team with a pretty potent offense, a great combination to have going into the postseason. My defensive MVP for last Sunday and for the season – Jordan Poyer, Bill Safety, he has been sensational. Again, we've said it before, how did he miss a selection to the Pro Bowl? I will never know. I think he is a great player, Jordan Poyer. Uh, He had two sacks Sunday against the Jets, finishes with three sacks for the season. Uh, Three sacks for a safety. Finishes with five interceptions. He makes a great tandem with his partner back there, Micah Hyde, the Bills' other safety. They are key parts of the Buffalo defense and maybe the key part overall on the Buffalo defense. They will play a huge role, an important role, in the defensive package the Bills put together for the wildcard playoff game against New England. It was just a couple of years ago when Patriots uh, head coach Bill Belichick, who knows a thing or two about defense in the NFL, said those two, Poyer and Hyde, do a great job of disguising coverages. He has the utmost respect for those two because they disguise coverages. They don't let you know what defense they're in. That will be a key against a rookie quarterback, Mac Jones. I think it may be the key to the game. The looks they show Mac Jones, the coverages they disguise, and the way way they're able to handle the Patriots' defense. Can the Patriots come in and run the ball the way they did back on December 6th, the Monday night victory over the Bills? Yeah, I guess that's always a possibility, and that makes a difference, but they can't come in and just throw it three times and expect to win, I would not think. Third matchup with New England over a six-week span. It's amazing, really. It really solidifies that this is, right now, Buffalo's best rivals, right? Their best rivalry the Bills have, the New England Patriots. It was one-sided for most of the century. The long win streak the Patriots had over the Bills, the Bills never seemed to get it right against New England. It's different now. You know, they've each won one, and this will be the rubber match uh, this Saturday night. Uh, I think it is Buffalo's best rivalry, and I, for one, am really happy that it's New England coming in to play this uh, wildcard playoff game. Hard to admit this if you're a Bills fan, but it's true, I think. Bill Belichick, despite his failings, you know, Spygate, some of the questionable uh, moves that he has engineered as coach of the Patriots, hard to admit it, but he is the best coach of this generation. And I 
have full belief that he'll have something special planned for Josh Allen because he has high regard for Josh Allen. He mentioned that after the Buffalo win in Foxborough a couple of weeks ago. He has high regard for Sean McDermott. Belichick, I'm sure, is burning midnight oil this week getting ready for the Bills, and he'll have something special for the Bills on defense, maybe on special teams, maybe on offense. We'll see. I think he makes the Patriots a very dangerous opponent. The Bills have better players, but the Patriots have a, have a great coach, the coach of this generation. Should be a great game, and I'm glad it's Saturday night, right? Get this game over. Bills win Saturday night. You sit back and watch the Sunday games and figure out where you're headed. It's going to be a great time, 8.15 p.m. Saturday night, the Bills and the Patriots. We're going to talk about it with Kevin Harlan of CBS TV. We're going to talk about it next right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Sullivan's Pro Football Podcast, and we're talking football now with a good guy, a, a friend of mine. He is a CBS TV national announcer of the NFL on CBS. He did the Bills game this past week. He does radio, Monday Night Football on Westwood One. He's done Super Bowls. He does college basketball on CBS, the NBA on TNT. Two-time national sportscaster of the year. Kevin Harlan is with us. Kevin, I really appreciate this and your busy, busy schedule. How on earth do you find time to come on our podcast? That's amazing. Because I've got friends like you. That's why. <laughs> and you asked in the press box on Sunday, and I was so happy you did. And, and I'm glad you began by saying we're friends first and foremost and known each other a long time. We've both been in the league a long time. And I know that we feel... Win or lose, every season, how lucky we are to be in that position. Absolutely. And, and people should know you started out kind of in a in a local radio, uh, started in the NFL in a local radio position. You were the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs for a while, right? And loved it. And, and that's the one thing, John, that I miss so much is that when you're doing a team, like you feel every pulse, you feel every heartbeat of fans, of the team, coaching staff, you know them well. They're, they're your family, right? They're your extended family. And every win means so much. Every loss hurts a little bit more. Quite honestly, when we go do a game, the, the Bengals and the Steelers, I don't care who wins. I, quite frankly, I didn't care if the Bills won. Well, of course, as you know, we were talking off the air. Yeah. I'm a Bills fan. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we'll get into that in a second. But, but I really don't care who wins. All I care about is that our broadcast is good. We've covered the bases. We've made both fan bases feel like we've been fair to their stories and we've told their stories and we've talked about the things that need to be talked about. And, and that's really all I care about. I care that our, our shots are good. Our audio is good. Our, uh, that we have a clean broad. I care about CBS is what I care about. I don't. And the same with Westwood one. I only care about, I only care about our broadcast. The affiliates are getting it. It's clean for them and they appreciate the product and we appreciate them carrying the game. So that really is my interest. I, I really, even when I'm doing a Packers game and I grew up in Green Bay, as you know, I do not care if they win or lose. Yeah. I, I hope our, our listeners uh, appreciate the fact that you do the uh, radio Monday Night Football and you've done it for years now on Westwood One. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I make a point listening. I'm doing something on uh, a local TV station Monday, drive home and listen to your first 45 minutes of Monday Night Football. Uh, do you like radio? I mean, there's a big difference, right? We'll talk about that in a minute, but do, I, I get the sense when I listen to you, you really enjoy doing radio. I do. I do. I, 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 if you did a radio broadcast on TV, people would have to turn it down. They may turn it down anyway, I don't, <laughs> but, but, but they'd have because there's just so much verbiage, right? There's so many words and things you've got to describe. Honestly, John, it is the most favorite, most uh, challenging, most rewarding thing that I do. Like, like that will be probably the last thing that I would ever want to give up, quite frankly. Wow. Uh, there, are, there are other things I do that, that I'm okay with, but I've, I've, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. 
the radio is something I hope that I can do uh, as long as I am able to see and, and talk coherently and think and, and able to get in the press box. I, I, I grew up wanting to be in radio. TV just kind of happened. I love that the, 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 you need your voice, you need your words, you need, you know, the, the right pacing, you need just all these things that make up a great radio broadcast. And I just, I just find that very challenging. It, to me, it's the purest form of broadcasting. Kevin, tell me about the transition. You, you're doing a television game for CBS most Sunday afternoons, and then um, less than 24 hours later, you're in a stadium doing a radio. What, what goes through your mind making that transition from TV to radio on a weekly basis? Well, all week long, I get ready for the TV broadcast. I watch my last one and grade it. Um, I'm, I'm watching a lot of tape. I'm, I'm filling my, my spotting boards with stories and statistics and numbers and all these different things. And um, I really don't sit down and do hard radio prep until, say, Friday night, Saturday, but mainly Sunday night when I'm flying to my next game. Uh -uh. Um, Names and numbers, five headlines, a team, you know, knowing the pertinent stories, certainly those are the most important things. To me, the most important prep for Monday uh, is not the switch from the TV game I do on Sunday. I've done games in Buffalo and gone out to that airport and tried to grab some wings and uh-huh. get on a plane and gnawing on a wing and writing down notes, but really listening to my last broadcast. And if I listen to my last radio broadcast, John, it gets my my mind triggered probably subconsciously for what now I've got to do. In other words, uh, you know, th- th- there's constant time and score, um, a quick headline of what has happened in the game. So, for instance, if I'm doing that Buffalo Jets game on radio the other day, I, I'm, I'm, you know, t- talking uh, time and score with a 10-yard touchdown pass by Josh Allen. Just even if it's a 10-0 game, if I give one headline of the game, then people know if they're tuning in, like you are running home from doing something on Monday night, they know, all right, I've got, I've got the – if the game ended and I was reading the story, it, Josh Allen threw a touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs of 10 yards, and the Buffalo Bills beat the New York Jets 10. You know, they, they would have an up-to-the-minute – AP wire story of what has happened in that game. And I really try to concentrate on the reporting element of that. And then, um, uh, and then it, then it just, it just kind of is when I'm listening back to my game and grading it and figuring out what I like and what I don't like. And I tweak every broadcast. I tweak every TV broadcast. I tweak every radio broadcast. I'm never satisfied. The, 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 the only person more, uh, I, I am so unimpressed with with when I listen back. It's it's. I don't know how you feel. It is like a torture chamber. Like I go, yeah, I oh, why did I say that? How how could I make you know why why in the world did that come out that way? And and so I'm I'm always tweaking. And I feel like until the day that I don't feel like doing that, uh, that will be the signal that I'm probably finished. But if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And I feel like I've always got to get better. This ever happened to you? I find my self critique, and and I guess I'm looking for advice here. I find I have to remind <laughs> you. Look, I, I can do names. <laughs> Is that all right if I do that? No, I can do names and numbers. And you you remember the opponents. Obviously, I know the Bills. But when I think about how to get better on a weekly basis, I always have to remind myself, slow down. Don't try to do too much. You don't have to necessarily uh, say everything you see. And I try to do that sometimes and get lost in my in my own words. You know, you know, those um, play sheets, those coaches, those coordinators hold on the sideline yeah. and they're constantly looking on there. They've got helpful hints written around the border of that, or they got a section of that of that card that they because I've seen them, and and uh, they won't mean anything to you or me or the fan, 
But to the coach who has been watching tape all week and putting together that game plan, he might have 10 things there that he wants to remind himself of, you know, uh, you know, whatever they, those 10 things might be, uh, look three plays ahead, um, be true to yourself, you know, like, like whatever those things are, those, those, those trigger uh, comments and words. And so I put a couple of those on my spotting boards just to remind myself in some games I'm locked into them. Like if I feel like I'm having a hard time getting my early pacing and, and speed early in a game, I'll, I'll, I'll glance during commercial breaks at those little reminders that I've written for myself have nothing to do with the game, but only about my broadcasting about what I want to do. And talking slower is definitely one of them because when you talk slower, again, I don't want to get too much in the weeds here. When you talk slower, you don't, you don't trip over your words, your voice lowers, you make more sense. You put periods and commas in sentences. You like you do all these things. If you're talking so now, listen. When when Diggs is galloping down the sideline on a 50 yard catch and run, right. it's a little bit different, right? Right. Right. But on the everyday play, you can slow up that play, and it's shocking to me that when you slow up the play, and I listen back to it, that you you capture the things you want to capture: the tackler, the kind of move, or maybe a block. The problem is sometimes that can become. Like it can go the other way. And like, you sound like you're in molasses yeah. <laughs> and then you've yeah. got to, and then you've got to re- rejigger it. So it, it just, it, it just, it's, it's a constant tweaking. I find. Yeah. I'm going to ask you one more play by play question because I, I don't want to get too far in the weeds either, but my partner, Eric Wood has uh, professionally made spotting boards where everybody's printed out and it's all nice and neat. And that's fine. Yes. And I understand why people do that. I, I need to, and I've always done it, so I, this is probably why I need to do it, but I need to write out to memorize names and numbers and, and pertinent stats. Once I write that down on my own um, uh, spotting board, I've, I feel like I've committed it to memory. How do, how do you handle that? Do you get them professionally made? Uh, no, I do it myself. Uh, uh, when I was at Fox from 94 to 97 for four years, 94 season through the 97 season, uh, Pat Summerall was at, was at Fox and I had come up with all kinds of different, uh, forms and configurations of offense and defense and how I was going to spot. I looked at his boards. He brought them one time. I looked at him numerical, you know, one through 99 or one through 53 or one through 48, whatever, whatever it was numerically offense, numerically on defense. And I, I, because, you know, he was a broadcaster of a simplistic call. He would just say, you know, Murphy tackled by Harlan gain of five to the 23, you know, something very, very simple. And at that time it worked. You couldn't do that. Now it's a, it's a different world we live in now, but I do it numerically. And the reason why I do it numerically twofold, um, we have defensive linemen who are dropping back in pass coverage and playing where a safety should be. Yeah. We have linebackers that are putting their hand in the grass and they're driving in and not standing up. We have now guys that are playing linebacker. They're wearing number 11 or number nine or number four. And, you know, so we've got weird numbers and we've got guys that are positionless basically. Right. So if I have them numerically, I'm not searching for a big guy who's running around who may have a number in the nineties, but as an outside linebacker and his drop back, it just makes it easier for me. I try to make it as simple for me as possible. And I don't use a spotter. I've never used a spotter. And, and so I feel like if I don't know the players and names, why am I going to rely on somebody else to do that? I, that? That's my job. My job is to rely on a spotter. 
and we go into new stadiums every week with new teams and the COVID has brought in, you know, nine, 10 new names on that roster, as you know, every on week. Saturday night, usually on Saturday <laughs> night. And now you're scribbling out things you wrote or whiting them out just to put the guy's number, the new guy that's been brought up who hasn't played more than a couple snaps all season long. So it's challenging, but the challenge is fun. I think you'd agree on that. Yeah, I do agree. We're with Kevin Harlan from CBS TV. He did the Bills Jets game on Sunday, and I watched the game over again uh, this week, Kevin, and I think you, I heard you say that uh, uh, the Buffalo Bills fans are among the best fans in the league, or at least your favorites in the league, right? Why did you say they that? Are, they are. They are. I I grew up in Green Bay, and Green Bay and Buffalo have a lot in common. I think they're more of a, you know, lunch pail, blue collar, work ethic, uh, on the Great Lakes, cold weather, outdoor, you know, like there's so many, uh, you know, long time in the league, certainly the, the Packers have been around longer than the Bills, but nonetheless, Buffalo has got a, an incredible bas- a football heritage. And, and I guess I just, when I'm driving to that game, I feel like I'm driving in Green Bay. And then I walk through the parking lot to get to the media entrance, and I see fans out there tailgating like they do in Green Bay. Yeah. And I'm walking out of the press box after a game to go get a ride to the airport, and I hear fans talking not about, you know, whatever. They're talking about the game. And that's how Green Bay fans are. Now you go to some places and they may have great, you know, fan bases, but they're drunk. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying there's not a lot of, you know, <laughs> and, and buying in Green Bay or Buffalo. What I'm saying is that Orchard Park and, and the way that stadium sits, you know, in kind of a, uh, a residential area is a lot like Green Bay. And to me, when I hear the fans and I know the passion and I know that aside from how much snow is going to fall, that football probably is the number one thing on everybody's list when they wake up every morning. And the last thing they think about when they go to bed, <laughs> yeah. that that's how it is in Green Bay. That's where I grew up and that's what I'm used to. And so I love coming to Buffalo and I think their fans are, there's no fan base better. Uh, there are some probably that are close, but that's why it's such a joy to go there. They I think care, but right, that, right yeah. that you feel they care so much. Yeah. Yeah, it matters. Wins and losses matter here. Yes. I think that was your fourth Bills game of the year. Give me it your was. Gen- give me your general impressions of this year's Buffalo Bills and, and their playoff prospects. Well, they sure got a lot of talent, and they sure got a lot of guys that have stuck in there. The line has now played two straight games together. Love the quarterback. Love Diggs. Uh, love the rotation at, at wide receiver. Um, quite frankly, I don't know why they've been up and down up in here until the last month or so. I, I, I don't know if it's been COVID-related. I don't know if now having a target on your back is one of the best teams in the NFL. You get everybody's best punch on Sunday or Monday or, or Thursday or whenever. And, and, and so you're, you're, you're that, that game against Buffalo, uh, any place they play, whatever conference they, they're playing against that day, is circled on that opposing team's calendar. That's a team you've got to beat. It's like Kansas City. It's like Green Bay. It's like Dallas. The Bills are now with, with a, a franchise quarterback, uh, you know, fourth time in five years in the playoffs. This is a team those teams need to beat. And I think when you hit that rarefied air, uh, it becomes different. And every week you're getting every team's best punch. It's hard. That, that wears on you after a while. And that's why, you, you know, you respect the teams that have won for a long time because they've, they've built up the wherewithal. Yeah. And I kind of think maybe that, that while the Bills are ascending and people thought maybe plateauing a bit when they were winning and losing, I think perhaps it's just that they're just getting used to this, this new position in the NFL that they're in, new being in the last couple of years, that they're in. They're respected. The, the, the pieces are in place. The coach is there. The organization is solid. The GM is great. Like, like everything is ready to go. And, and maybe, and not that they exhaled, but, but perhaps they're just, they're just, sometimes when you're climbing a lot of stairs, you got to catch your breath. 
and then you got to climb more. And that's kind of maybe what they did when they were, you know, winning, losing, winning, losing. And now they've perhaps picked up a little bit of momentum, but they're, they got the Jets best shot the other day. There's no doubt about it. Jets are not that good. And they gave them a lot on the defensive end in particular. So listen, I, I, I just, I just think that this team is, is where they want to be. And you have growing pains as you get great. And those are probably some of the things we saw this year with the team. This week uh, in the wildcard round, they get, uh, for the third time in six weeks, they got the Patriots. Any yeah, thoughts on that? this matchup? Round three, Bills-Patriots. What do you think? Well, you know, they'll be prepared. They know each other so well. And so that that's, I've always thought that's when Belichick is at his most dangerous, is yeah. when he's seen you not only on tape as he watches every team, but with his own eyes. And he's watched you closely uh, for two games here in the last, like you say, month and a half. That that would be probably concern number one. Um, the rookie quarterback, there's a lot of tape on him now. And like when Josh was developing from the quarterback he was as a rookie and through those early years, when you get a lot of tape on these quarterbacks, these coordinators are smart guys. They figure out what to do and how to do it. And you can even sense that maybe that Mac Jones is slow just a bit and teams have picked up on and where he likes to go, his tendencies, his habits. And, and that is always something that a young quarterback's got to fight. You don't want to be predictable. You want to be different. You want to make it look different. And he's right in the middle of that. And Josh knows that and probably appreciates the process that Jones is going through right now. This will be one of the great games the first weekend. I guarantee you this will be as good a game as we'll see. Division teams, really big rivals, know each other exceptionally well. And, and you beat them last time. And they somehow got, you know, got <laughs> that, that weird Monday night yeah. in Buffalo. Gosh almighty. Have you ever seen the goalposts move that much? They were <laughs> no, swinging. Was... I thought like two feet all, all night long. It was unbelievable. As you know, unbelievable. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're getting set for Monday night, right? Cardinals and Rams. That'll be a good game, right? Now, Monday night. I've, I've got, I've got chiefs in, in Pittsburgh. Oh, chiefs I'm, I'm in gonna, Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm gonna Sunday night. Yeah. I can't do Monday because in the NBA forever, that has <laughs> been the Martin Luther King oh, whole right. league plays. Yeah. And when the NFL, and that's how I have to figure out what game I, I need to do is do I do my football, which I'm in football season, but, but that has traditionally been an NBA day. And when the NFL just says, Hey, let's just make it a Monday game. Let's just make this a three day, you know, holiday. Um, unfortunately that was on the NBA footprint. So I couldn't do the Monday, but, but I was so you got a home to. game. You got basically, a so home I, game. I got home and I'm working with my daughter. My daughter's going to be on our sideline. Excellent. Um, yeah, she's, she's done games for Westwood and, a lot with ESPN, the Big Ten Network, and and they uh, they just they just told me she's going to be on her sidelines, so that'll be fun. That's great. You'll have a great broadcast, Kevin. I really appreciate you spending time with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Great seeing you this past weekend. All the best in the playoffs, and I hope we cross paths soon. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with your host John Murphy. Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff continues with a special guest. He is Director of Business Development for the Irish Echo, a weekly newspaper based in New York. Happy to have Paul Finnegan on the line with us. Paul, thanks very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Well, delighted to be here, John. Thank you. Tell us about the Irish Echo, uh, known as the USA's uh, uh, weekly uh, most highly read Irish newspaper. Tell us uh, what the goal is of the Irish Echo. Well, uh it is. It is. It is broadly distributed in the United States. Uh, it is the oldest print publication of Irish American news in circulation. It goes back to 1928. There have been others along the way, but the uh, that that went back further in time. But the Irish Echo has been the the longest currently one on the on the stands right now. Its goal is basically to 
to provide a new service to people who identify as Irish Americans in the United States and to give them both a news of Ireland itself to keep them in tune with Ireland, which is a very changing country over the last several decades. And Ireland, the picture people have of Ireland may not quite be what it is in reality. Um, so it's encouraging people to be familiar with their Irish heritage and the current state of things in Ireland. It, um, it also pays attention to the Irish political game here in the United States. And um, it likes to highlight a lot of the Irish communities that are uh, operating are in, you know, active throughout the throughout the country. They could be in Boston or Chicago or on the West Coast. There's a number of there's a number of centers of Irish communities still throughout the country. Paul, the Irish Echo has a fairly prominent uh, uh, digital presence too, right? Online presence as well as a printed edition once a week. Of course, yes. I mean, you know, uh, printed publications are are costly. We still have a, a, you know, a strong readership, but it's an aging demographic. Obviously younger generations are much more fluent with, with everything, getting their information online. So yeah, we have a website, we have uh, an ability to subscribe to e-versions and apps and so on for our newspaper. And we are, our paradigm is shifting over to, to those channels, those platforms as you know, what is, what is a sustainable future for, for the Irish echo. I came across this stat on the Irish Echo website. It said uh, 44% of the readers are first-generation Irish. Is that the target audience? In other words, recent immigrants? Yes and no. It's part of the target audience. We see the whole thing as one audience. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of Irish people come to America and they feel that there's, a, there's somehow a divide between themselves and people who claim to be Irish uh, that have maybe fourth or fifth generation going back that far. But I think that over time, though, both the newly arrived in the United States and those who have been here for generations feel very much a commonality and a kinship. So it's really all part of the same audience. And we'd like to educate both sides of that, both sides of that equation to each other as, 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 as we go. Tell me what you meant a moment ago when you mentioned about the, the difference in reality uh, between, uh, I guess, Irish Americans or, or Americans perception of Irish life and, and what it actually is maybe in the 21st century. What was, what difference are you referring to? Oh, I think largely there's a, there's a lot of economic differences. Ireland now is a very productive uh, country. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a country with opportunity. It's very progressive in its business thinking. Uh, there is uh, no longer a, War in the north of Ireland, or you know, which affected the south. Obviously, it's a it's a peace process that came into being in the 1990s and culminated in the Good Friday Agreement. And while these things are fragile, the peace in Ireland is always fragile. Uh, it's it's there, so people have to understand that the 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 days of war and animosity should be behind us by by now. Even though, as I said, it's a fragile peace, especially with Brexit causing so much pressure on it. Uh, so there there there's um. You know, sometimes sometimes there are people that think of Ireland in terms of, you know, an older version, maybe relayed in a great movie called The Quiet Man. Uh-huh. A lot of that has gone by the wayside. Uh, and also it's it's um, it's it's, uh, it's a progressive country in other ways. The Catholic Church, while still an important part of Irish society, no longer has such a power grip on the people. So a lot of cat, a lot of most people in the South of Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, considerably in the North as well, are Roman Catholic. 
um, while while they uh, there's still a lot of practicing Catholics in Ireland, um, you know the people are more inclined to, you know, not take everything the Catholic Church says as dogma and laws they have to follow. So there's a kind of a, you know, there's 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 a there's it's less of a theocracy than it was long ago. So that is that is, these are significant changes in Ireland as a society. It's a very modern culture, very diverse. Another thing too, it has a lot of immigrants itself, as opposed to being a country that provided immigrants to other countries. Mm-hmm. Ireland now takes in a lot of people from all around the world, especially from Europe and Africa. So when you go there, you've got a lot of multicultural activities going on in Ireland. It's it's still a relatively um, it's still a relatively uh, small population, uh, about five million for the whole island, wow. five to six million. And again, it still has a smaller population than it had before the Great Hunger in the mid nineteenth century. So that is quite a significant fact, actually, a very very unique fact on the world stage. Um, however, the the population is beginning to grow again, so it's it's getting back to the levels where it was. Uh, before the great hunger of the mid 19th century. So um, we encourage people to the Irish Echo to visit Ireland. Um, you know, we, we have a close relationship with Tourism Ireland and Aer Lingus, the airline, especially to encourage people that are of Irish American heritage to go there and uh, really experience it. And, you know, most people love it. Yeah. So that's one thrust of the Irish Echo as well. Well, you have a unique perspective to comment on Irish-American affairs. I mean, you were born in the U.S., in Arizona, right, and grew up in the coastal town of Galway. Tell me about your background personally, please. Yeah, yeah. My, 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 uh, my background is a little bit off, off, the, off the standard profile, but uh, um, very short, very long story cut very short. My <laughs> father and mother came to the United States in the 1950s. They had four kids. My father was a civil engineer. Um, and uh, there was lots of work here in the United States. So he picked up a job at General Electric and they actually put him in Phoenix. He based, they based him in Phoenix. And the reason they based him there was because he was an early adopter of information systems and computers. And he was an early electronic engineer because they hadn't really defined such things as electronic engineers back in the 1950s. So he did a lot of work in early computers uh, back then. And uh, he had four, they had four kids and all that burden was fallen on my mother, who was from County Kilkenny. And she, over, over the years they were here, they were here almost 10 years, uh, pretty much 10 years. She, they decided it was time to go back to Ireland and raise the kids back there. But as they were, as they were making their final plans to leave, there was an announcement that I was on the way. <laughs> so they decided to wait an extra six months till I was born here. And I was born in Phoenix. My two brothers were born in Phoenix my sister was born in Chicago, but I was born in November in the year 1965. And uh, I was back in my grandmother's kitchen in Galway on Christmas Day that year. And I hadn't, I didn't come back to America, I think, until I was 19. So growing up in Ireland, it was just a piece of trivia about me. But uh, I felt very much uh, that Galway was my hometown. You came back to America for economic reasons, especially those that existed. Uh, it must have been yeah. what in the mid '80s, early '80s. Yeah, absolutely. We were a generation that was raised in Ireland that was a very well educated by, you know, by prior sta- by prior uh, standards, uh, more educated than generations before us. We were also led to believe that we wouldn't have to leave mm-hmm. Ireland. 
to to make a living. But nobody foresaw a great recession in the 1980s in Ireland. It was it was quite deep and it cut to the bone and people flooded out of Ireland again. And, you know, I had a choice. Many of my friends went to England, London, and many, many came to the United States. I decided to come to the United States. I was an American citizen by birth, uh, very strong connections between my family and the United States came here. Um, a lot of my friends, however, were what we call undocumented immigrants. Uh, they came over here in, in their droves and there was, uh, I, I lived through a great era of political activism among the Irish and they were able to secure uh, in the 1990 Immigration Act a special program to allow legalization for Irish people. So a lot of them became legal. And then subsequently, the Celtic Tiger took off in Ireland and a lot of them went back to live in Ireland and they've been quite successful over there. Uh, they were very, um, let me put it this way, the Celtic Tiger took off basically because a lot of people had come to America and learned good business practices and how Americans do things and went back, brought that expertise back to Ireland and created an economic boom back in Ireland with this new know-how. So we're, the Irish should are and should always be very grateful to the United States for what it's done for the Irish people. And this goes back all the way back to the Great Hunger, where the Irish people may not have survived without the United States. And uh, it's, just, it's just something we're all keenly aware of. Yes, this is uh, Paul Finnegan. He is uh, with the Irish Echo, a newspaper in New York. The Irish Echo d- plays a prominent role in promoting Irish-American activities, including I read about the Irish Law and Order Awards, which come up in a few weeks, and and the forty under the Irish 40 under 40. Year, the, the newspaper is actively involved in promoting Irish culture, Irish-American culture, huh? Yes, and the key here is it's actively engaged in community building because – because without a, you know, the immigration laws into the United States are very restricted. Uh, so people coming from Ireland just can't walk in anymore. Those days are gone. Um, they were able to get a little relief in the early 90s. But after that, it, it just it, it, it reverted back to a, a situation where it's very, very hard to become legal in the United States, no matter who you are. And that stems from a law in 1965, which, which is a very interesting story in and of itself. Um, so two things, the Irish people are not coming here because the door is pretty closed, pretty much closed. And secondly, they don't necessarily want to come here because, as I said, it's a modern nation with a, a good, um, a good uh, productive economy. So a lot of Irish people, when they, when they look to go abroad, it's more about business experience that they'll bring back to Ireland eventually. So, and they also look at, on a global level, they look at all different parts of the world as opportunity, not just the United States. So the Irish Echo catering and use uh, which caters to Irish America, be they native Irish people or people that go back generations, but identify as Irish uh, looks at that and says, well, how are we going to, how are we going to, you know, create a community? Because essentially the Irish Echo is a local newspaper. The community is spread throughout the country and the Irish Echo says, well, how do we connect all these people to, to give them a sense of community? And uh, through local news is basically how a community knows itself. So we, we sponsor and we produce a lot of events. And you mentioned two, law and order. The Irish have a great history in law and order in this country in law enforcement. And we cater to that ethos of, of Irish America through the, through the uh, law and order events, which is coming up next week. And we have some great honorees there that uh, 
that know their Irish heritage. And we also, next month, we'll go to 40 Under 40, which really caters to promising young people in the Irish-American um, community, the Irish-American diaspora, that are under 40. So we've great leaders in business and and other other fields as well. There's great leaders in research. So they're doing, you know, um, Irish America contributes so much to this country on so many different levels. And I know I have certain bias in my in my thinking, but uh, I just it's a tremendous source of pride to me. And I think the Irish Echo is is often uh, a voice of that pride and a, and a and an educator in that regard. And we do it in many different ways, not just as a news service, but also by bringing people together physically. The pandemic obviously was difficult, but we're getting out of that now. Um, so we have a series of events throughout the year where we bring people together to celebrate each other and and learn about each other. And we do it through a process of giving awards to people. Um, but it's really more about people connecting and networking together. And, you know, these people are often community leaders in one way or other. So it's a, it's a really, it's a good formula. On that topic, Paul, I read a, a piece in the Irish Echo recently, uh, and, and, you know, the old stereotype of, you know, an Irish uh, cop walking the beat or an Irish politician, those, those days are kind of gone. But it did say that New York City, your hometown, is run, here's the quote, run by people who were mentored by Irish people. Um, what did he mean by that? And, and what do you think is going on there? Well, what it's going on basically is, you know, at the local level in New York City anyway, I could speak to that. Irish American politicians have been very powerful for a long time. Um, that is changing. Um, a lot of the most recent uh, Irish American politicians in the city, for example, Danny Drum was chair of the finance on the city council, very powerful position, but he's retiring. So the people coming in behind that wave, that last wave of Irish politicians in New York tend to be people from other backgrounds. And there's more diversity, there's more women. There's actually more than half the city council in New York, New York this year are women. Um, but, you know, I like to say that the Irish taught America how to use its own democracy. The Irish came flooding in here as a very unwanted group of people uh, after the great hunger in the mid 19th century. Uh, they were uh, they were exploited on the on the on the workplace floor in the factories and also in the mines. There's horror stories about what Irish people went through to help build this country. Um, and, but uh, but. You know, they, they were also Catholic, so they were distrusted. But there was enough of them to say, well, you know what? We have the numbers. We'll march to the polls. We'll organize. And that's what the American, that's what America is all about. It's all about, you know, uh, fair and free elections. And everybody has an opportunity to have a part participate. And I think the Irish really established that for groups that have come after us. Now, the same thing is happening, on at least on the local level in New York City, there's a just a, 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 a deep belief in democracy among Irish people, and they're happy to they're happy to pass on, you know, they're happy to pass on that sense of what America really is when you know the the, the sense of freedom through through the democracy. Uh, they didn't feel that in Ireland. They didn't feel that in under the British rule. But over here, I think finally, as I say, the Irish have a lot to be grateful to the United States for. And one of them is base, you know, basically allowing them to really uh, meet, reach their maximum potential. And a lot of that occurred through politics. Well, this podcast is sponsored by Sullivan's Brewing Company from Kilkenny, Ireland. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Irish pub culture. Uh, where does 
where what's the status of Irish pub culture, both here in the United States and, and back in Ireland? What do you think? Well, I just want to comment that my mother, uh, born and raised in Kilkenny, so you know, she, uh, I I grew up with a lot of uh, happy, happy memories of Kilkenny and stories mm-hmm. of Kilkenny. Uh, but back to pub culture. So, you know, there's a di- there's a difference between a pub and a bar. Pub is short for public, public house. And back in Ireland, the weather can be atrocious. We have to be, we have to, we have to be honest about that. <laughs> so, what did the Irish people do long, you know, long before? They had the amenities for re, for recreation that they have now. They gathered in public houses and they had a drink. So really, it was a center of community, a center of conversation, a center of of everything to do with with community life. Um, I think that happened a lot in the United States as well. I mean, the Irish are very are very much embedded in the hospitality industry here in the United States. But I think that, like any business uh, over the last yay number of decades they have to become more profitable because of all kinds of different reasons and bars i'm sorry pubs are becoming more and more like bars in ireland and in the united states which means that they're much more about alcohol consumption they're much more about music they're much more about crowds and a lot wilder i suppose for want of a better word so it's not really possible to sit down and have a pint and a chat like it used to be not to the same level however it still exists in ireland if you know where to go and what they like to do in ireland still to this day which is a marvelous thing is to bring in the irish traditional music into the pubs and create an atmosphere of you know just just building that uh, evening around irish culture and have a few pints nothing nothing serious in terms of too much drinking or anything, but just hanging out and being with company and with the backdrop of great music. And that happens a lot in the United States too. The most wonderful traditional music, Irish traditional musicians live, are American, are, are Irish that have, that have lived here for decades and are great exponents of the arts, of the art form. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where it's at. You know, I, I hope there'll always be an outlet for someone like me who enjoys a a good pint of Sullivan's, I hope, in the future, yeah. yes. in a in a pub here somewhere that has the tri- the trimmings of a pub, and leave the bars to the younger people and and what they're what they're out to do, which is probably just to meet other people and make friends and have relationships and all that, right? You know, but I'm I'm more I'm more old school at this stage, and in Ireland, I can tell you a couple of spots in Galway City. There's the Crane Bar and Sea Road, which has that pub. Uh, culture to this day and there's a couple of others in Galway as well and that would be the one the place I'm most familiar with and a couple of places around New York City as well Paul tell us again the Irish Echo people listeners who may be interested in uh, subscribing or even reaching online and reading online where can they go yeah well, just go to irishecho.com it's all there and uh, you can you, you know there's a lot of free content if you don't, if you want to stick your toe in the water, you just you can you can read some of the stories. You can sign up for a daily e-zine, e-zine, where you get a an email on a daily basis with a with an interesting photograph and some couple of stories, and you can click through. And then you can also subscribe to the digital edition edition, which is ridiculously cheap at five dollars a month. You get an opportunity to read a great newspaper every week. Comes out every Wednesday and flick through it on your screen. So th- those are the, those are the ways to, uh, to connect to the Irish echo, very cost, uh, very cost effective and, and a very enriching experience. And a lot of people in the Irish American world are familiar with the Irish echo and 
Long may that continue. Thanks for this, Paul. We appreciate it. Thank you, John. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. We want to thank our guests, Paul Finnegan of the Irish Echo, the newspaper in New York. Learned a lot about Irish culture, pub culture from Paul Finnegan, thanks to him. And also a big thank you to Kevin Harlan of CBS TV. A little bit inside baseball there. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I apologize if you're not into play-by-play, but I am, and and Kevin is, and he is, I think, maybe the best there is working in, in the country right now. I appreciate uh, Kevin Harlan spending a few minutes with us on a very busy week for him to talk with us on the podcast. We're sponsored by Sullivan's Brewing Company from Kilkenny, Kilkenny Ireland, the makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. It's available in Buffalo, all over upstate New York, Bill's Country. It's available downstate in New York City and on Long Island. It's in New Jersey, in Boston, Nashville, Tennessee, Atlanta, Georgia, Columbus, and Cleveland, Ohio. Coming soon to a bar or a pub or a tavern near you, available in cans in many spots, including Wegmans and Consumers Beverages here in the Buffalo area, Sullivan's uh, Brewing Company, Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. I want to thank our producer, Pat Felball, who puts it all together for us. The playoffs continue, and the podcast will as well. When the Bills are playing, we'll be doing this podcast on a weekly basis. Let's see how they do this week against New England. We'll see you next week right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the beer.